when one one day I was leaving and in their kitchen they had a wall that was open. There was this older woman sitting and she's getting sun. And I looked at them. I said, what, who is that? What is that? And they go, oh, that's the gross muddy, meaning that was the grandma. And it was mm. one of their uh, people I lived with, their mother. And I said, what is she living in the wall? And then they explained to me that when the Nazis came in in World War II, next door was the like Gestapo headquarters or whatever. But one of the families was Jewish. And the, the, the people in the building, the, the four of them, they, they carved out the wall. And they and the other family lived there during the war, and they they never turned them in, and they saved them from being taken by the Nazis. I mean, wow! I mean, yeah, it's crazy. great conversation today um, like we have every other day um today i'm able to sit with someone that is super dear to me judy near with probably pronounce it wrong because i do it all the time but the, the, how this whole thing came about judy told i said judy i wanted you to come to the podcast she said mm, Beethoven, whatever you want it's, that life is easy whatever so welcome judy thank you I want you to get closer to the mic. It's gonna, the mic's going to be your friend today. Okay, I need <laughs> friends. <laughs> so Judy is in the money management business. She's going to give all the clarity of what that is, what that looked like. And I want to start from the beginning, Judy, to have the conversation about how did this whole thing come about, where you from, who you are, and what you're doing today. That's a lot, huh? It is. But you're ready. I'm always ready. You're always ready. Um <laughs> So Judy, um, growing up in New York, the Northeast, right? I was born in New York, and I lived in Long Island till I was six. And then my father was an industrial engineer, and he w built a factory in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So my Wonder Bread years, six to twelve, right, <laughs> I right. lived in Milwaukee, and we moved there when it was twenty below zero in January. And my mother looked at my dad and said, really? And they loved it. And we would have stayed there, but they actually had promised my dad a $2,000 bonus in 1968, and they didn't give it to him. So he came home and he said to my mom, I quit. And she said, okay, dear, but let's, let's move back to New York so when you have a fight, you can walk across the street and quit jobs, and I don't have to keep moving cross-country. So That's a little so, different. So we moved back to New York, and we moved to New Rochelle, which is north of New York, not in Long Island, because my mother didn't want to move back to Long Island because they had put in sidewalks, and it was too, it was too citified. So we moved to New Rochelle, okay? Wow. And, and that's where I lived in, um, you, until I went to college. Did you, you grew up, you had a brother. I have an older brother. Brother, um, how, was, how was the experience of growing in New York? Back then, before you, well, you did you didn't get a full experience we, we, of New York City. No, no, we lived we lived outside you know, at the city, and you know, my parents would take us in. I mean, they had, but we'd go to a Broadway show every month. My dad would take us to a, a Ranger game, a football game, or whatever. My mother would take you to the Symphony, the Opera. They, we went, we we went to every, we went to everything. Did did you <laughs> did you enjoy? The, well, when you moved to Wisconsin, how was that experience? Did it was you... fun. I was a little kid, and next door they had, my neighbors had a pond, so you could go ice skating all day long at nighttime, so we used to zip around. Life wasn't that bad, <laughs> yeah. huh? Yeah, it was beautiful. It's a nice place to live. And the, the move back to New York, was it something that, you said your mom didn't want to move back into New York City. No, well, not back to Long Island. Back to Long Island. So we just went north, that's all. So but, and we all had family. I still had family. Then. Was your family in New York still, or was, I still have family in New York. I mean, my cousins. I had aunt and uncles. I mean, my mother had a big family. So did my dad. Did um, so growing up in New York, what did your parents do? Your mom. My mom never worked, and my father was an industrial engineer and accountant. He had been, he had been a very poor kid. He grew up in the Lower East Side. And I remember my parents were talking about the depression and my mother's parents were comfortable. And he said to my mother, he said, you know, if I didn't steal an apple before, during and after the depression on the way to school, he says, I didn't eat lunch. He said, so the depression was like a non-event in my family. 
Wow. <laughs> and my mother was, you know, she, she, she always had, she was always comfortable. So, so, those, those, so your mom was more comfortable, grew up in a different yeah, environment right. than your mm-hmm. father did. But, but he was very smart and he did very well. And when he went to school, they had half years. So by the time he was 13, everybody was going to college. And his sister was 10 years older. So he went to St. John's and got his accounting degree. And he went to Columbia and got his engineering degree. And then afterwards, um, she actually had money and he got his MBA from Harvard and got out, I think, in 1937. Don't quote me, maybe 38. And then he joined the Army. And he was in the Army eight years um, during World War II. And he was a colonel. And he had a Purple Heart and a Silver Star and a Bronze Star. And he had a paralyzed wrist from the war. So he couldn't pass the peacetime physical. So that's, and he met my mom on a blind date after the war. They got married and they were married almost 30 years. My dad died uh, about two weeks before their 30th anniversary. He had a heart attack. And uh, my mom was young. She was 53 and he was only 58. And I was very close to my dad and no one would tell me. I mean, like 12 or 14 hours went by because no one wanted to be the person to tell me because they were out of the country. And finally, my mother's cousin, who I was staying with, told me. Wow. And Please, no. Well, growing up in the household with a dad that was in finance, you believe that's where it all got started for you? I think think people talked about, I mean, I remember he had, there was a big bankruptcy. I'm trying to remember. I want to say W.T. Grant. One of them went bankrupt. But the thing is, they had uh, bills of lading, and people had to put them in. And he insisted that they all be signed. And back then, you know, if they, they wanted to cheat you, they could put it on the Xerox machine, and it would all be black and the mm-hmm. real bills. So you had to sign everything in blue. But now I don't. And now you could get away with it. But they, <laughs> they, there was stuff like that that went on. You know, he was, he, he, was, he was very good. And my brother actually <laughs> became an actuary, which, uh, you know, it's like a mathematician. They, like, oh. they figure out, you know, what your, um, if you go to do uh, your insurance rates or you say you used to have the uh, teachers union for the state of California and you'd have to figure out how many people are going to retire, how many people are going to mm-hmm. die, how many people, and you'd have to figure out how much money you had to earn every year to pay everybody's stuff. It's, and that's, that's what actuaries do. And uh, what had happened, he really was, was very smart. And, um, you know, he got like perfect scores on his boards. He graduated third in his class at like 1,200. No, no, no. But, but what happened, he actually wanted to be an astrophysics major. And he came home from college and he told my parents that he was going to be an actuary. And I'm sitting at the table laughing, saying, yeah, so tell me if this is bad because you can't be a teacher and make like $12,000 a year for mm. professor made back then in like 1973. I said, or you could be really rich and retire whenever you want to if you're an actuary. So, and, and what happened by then, I, had, I was in college I, and I went to Simmons, which is a very good school. Uh, I was kicked, kicked, they made me kick me out and made me go to to Simmons, basically, I'll tell you that. But what happened is that uh, I had graduated high school early in January, and I was a teller at the bank in uh, New Rochelle. And Iona College was there, and I started at Iona. And I'm a happy little camper. I'm going to work. I'm going to college. And my parents tell me, you have to leave. I said, what do you mean? They said, you have to leave. You cannot stay in New York. You have to go away to school because they probably knew I'd still be living in my house in New Rochelle, the happiest little camper, and could not care. So what happened, I had actually had a very good friend. I had gone on a bicycle hostel through the Canadian Rockies when I was 16. Wow. And you rode like 70 miles a day. And back then the trip was $400 and my bicycle was $200. My parents said to me, they would pay for the trip if I paid for my bicycle. <laughs> so, I had, so I had a job in the grocery store. And you got to realize it's so old. They didn't have barcodes on the stuff. You used to have to stamp everything. <laughs> there were no barcodes. Oh and I, I made $3 an hour. And I, that was the minimum wage. And I worked Every day after school and on the weekends. So we should be grateful for the minimum wage we have now. <laughs> and then, you know, so, and it took me months to pay for my bicycles, like $200, you know, because I had to pay taxes. And then I, I could only have the car if I took my dad to the train station. So I had to put the gas in the car. And, you know, so I had like no money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so anyhow, 
what happened, I, I, my friend, um, after they told me I had to go find a school, I said to her, her, her cousin had football tickets and she was going to go for an interview at Simmons. And he went to, I think, Brandeis or Boston University or something. I said, I got to go with you. I got to go with you. I got to go, go to this school. My parents are driving me nuts. So I go to this interview. And back then they, you know, you, you actually went in person for, to see things. And they said to me, I told them about my bicycle trip and they said, well, if you apply, you'll definitely get in. I said, done. <laughs> I was like, done. So in order for you to go to college, to a certain college, but then you had an actual one-on-one interview. Well, you could, yeah, and, you, and you stuff, but yeah, that's, that was the easiest way. So I said, okay, done. So I, my that's how I viewed going to college. Like, okay, I, they said, I'll get in, fine. I go, so I go I'm to- out of here. So I'm out of here. And Simmons was like three blocks from the ballpark and I'm big ball then and uh so what happened they had you had to take a liberal arts major with your major so i looked at my baseball schedule economics and and finance ended on good days when i wasn't going to the baseball game or in real life i could have been a nurse because a big health science school had nursing been on on those days i might have been the way that you got to the point where you are today is because your baseball schedule well that helped me that helped out a lot all right and then i'm at simmons and then what happened is my brother doing the whole thing he wants to the astrophysics stuff and i i come home and and i and he's telling them all this and i and i it was my first semester at, at simmons and I said to him, well, I said, since we're talking about school, I think I should share with all of you that I am going to receive a D in inorganic chemistry this term. And then my brother jumps up out at the table. Says, How can you live with such a grace? It's not bad. It's not bad. I said, I told Dr. Bronner if she couldn't think outside the box and let me take a little fuzzy animal and throw him on a scale, there was no way I was ever going to figure out the molecular weight of a mole in this lifetime if I couldn't use a real mole. So... I, I said, it worked out. My father's looking at me. How did this work out? My mother's trying not to laugh because she's like, it's used to me. And I said, well, I said, I told her if she promised to pass me, I promise never to take it again. And you don't have to pay for it again. Works so, out. So, and I said to my brother, just because you graduate third in your class. And in, in retrospect, after he went to college, he got his master's at University of Michigan. He was third in his class. <laughs> for wow. So I said, I, I remember getting up, we had a table and I got up and I'm kicking, kicking, kicking in there, looking at me. I said, I want to explain to you if they have to kick me, kick me, kick me out of Simmons and I'm the dumbest, dumbest person there. You never know. I said, the nice thing about college, they never tell you who the absolute dumbest person is. I said, I said, I said, I'm not going to care. And they were just like, just, you know, so anyhow, then what happened, it, my, by then, by my end of my sophomore year, I'm thinking, oh, this place is driving me nuts. Everybody's really smart here. And they, they're like Gwen Eiffel, all these smart people were in my class, you know, they wanted to take what on the world. So then I said to them, I think I want to go to London School of Economics for six months, you know, to but why? Why would you want to go there? But my my like uh, you could go abroad your junior abroad, year. Okay. So then they said to me, "Well, we're not sending you away for six months." I said, "Yeah, okay." So I don't say anything to them. <laughs> Wait. So then I find a program in Vienna, Austria, where they had something called Institute for European Studies, and they have all the little schools like Sim Simmons and Colby and Bowden, Santa Clara and Beloit, and just Kenyon, all the little schools in the United States. So. And they had where you could go there. And it, and the thing is, the courses were in English because the professors would come over from the University of Vienna and teach the course in English. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to go take it in German, you could go there. And it's like, I still speak 10 words of German my entire life. So even though I lived with a family, I can count to 20 maybe in German still. And uh, so what happened is I come home and it's like the beginning of George said, listen, I forgot to tell you, I'm leaving. I'm leaving September 5th. I'm going to Vienna this year for school. And they're just like, <laughs> they're just like, really? And and that's it. So off I went to Vienna, which was the best experience. How long did you stay there for? A year. I was there 1975, 76. And the world was communist. So we used to travel. And oh, and then the thing is, I didn't have a winter jacket. So my parents had given me like 50 bucks to buy a winter jacket because back then that's what it cost. So, of course, whenever I had 50 bucks, I went traveling. 
So they <laughs> so, oh, so, so so I was wearing like you know four layers of clothing and a couple of jackets. Don't ask. I look like a little homeless person. And, <laughs> and you were just supposed to go buy a jacket. Well, no, it gets better. And I used to write to them all. Oh, I went on a trip. I didn't buy. It. So they sent me fifty dollars, and every time they sent me fifty dollars, I'd go someplace else. So so what happened is that uh, February came, and I get a telegram from them. We'll see you tomorrow because I think, because you got to remember back then they didn't have uh, cell phones and mm. you couldn't make a phone. You'd have to go to the post office. You had to have $5, which was a lot of money back then. And they'd, you'd get a three minute phone call and it would echo under the Atlantic Ocean because it was a cable. And by, when you call somebody up, they were so happy to hear from you. You didn't get anything accomplished. Yeah, those days, it's yeah. a little different now. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, if you ran out of money or you didn't have stuff, like we used to have our main meal at school. And then anything we had, we all, you know. Figured it out. Well, we lived with families. So, you know, usually everybody. How was that experience living with families? Abroad? Oh, it's not. Oh, yeah. I had the, I had these, to show you how nice it was. I lived with the family. There were four, uh, like apartments. It was four floors and they all, mm -hmm. like whatever on the floors. And when, one, one day I was leaving and in their kitchen, they had a wall that was open. There was this older woman sitting and she's getting sun. And I looked at them. I said, what, who is that? What is that? And they go, oh, that's the gross muddy, meaning that was the grandma. And it was mm. one of their uh, people I lived with, their mother. And I said, what is she living in the wall? And then they explained to me that when the Nazis came in in World War II, next door was the like Gestapo headquarters or whatever. But one of the families was Jewish. And the, the, the people in the building, the, the four of them, they, they carved out the wall. And they and the other family lived there during the war, and they they never turned them in, and they saved them from being taken by the Nazis. I mean, wow! I mean, yeah, it's crazy when you saw Stutz, and then they had, in you know, they just had because my parents' absolute best friends were people who's it's really bizarre who were both in concentration camps, and and what had happened is that um, they were Polish, and. They were wealthy, I guess. They were jewelers, and they had a 10-carat emerald or something. And what happened is that when the Nazis were coming, they had a neighbor, and they had, their daughter was four years old, and they gave the, the emerald to the neighbor and said, will you raise our daughter? And they both got, I don't even know how they lived, but they all had the numbers, and they both lived, and they came back to get the daughter, and that's how they found out they were both still alive. And then the neighbor must be, Beyond the saint, 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 whatever, because the neighbors gave them the emerald back and said, sell it and go to the States and the daughter. So, and they came to the States and they, they had another life and they had another child and, you know. So when, when you. Oh, so what I want to, want to say, which is kind of important. The one thing I learned from them is, and I, I see it now with um, like, you see the people escaping from Syria and all these things. Mm -hmm. And even now, you don't know. Their, their thing was, you should always have some assets you can put in your pocket and start over. That's why they always were big in having one carat diamonds or people had stamps. Because these are people that had everything wiped out. Their homes were just taken. Their currencies were destroyed. And all their assets, you know, right. were confiscated or taken. So these were people that are big believers in having assets you can just... Tomorrow you got to get on a plane and, and you can trade them for the same thing around the world. So the, the mindset of having assets that's valuable started from your family back then? Yeah, I, they just, you know what it was? My parents, my parents were very comfortable, but they were, they were, they were wonderful parents, but they were strict in the sense that when we wanted to do something, they'd always say, how are you going to pay for that? And I remember my mother had a little jar with about $30 in singles. And if you needed to borrow some money, you'd have to, like $2 or something. You'd have to put an IOU in and say, I owe you whatever. And then I don't know if my allowance back then was 25 cents, 50 cents. But you had to pay them back. You had to learn that if you couldn't, you know, they'd pay for certain things. But if you wanted things they thought you should pay for, you had to pay for it. And, and they weren't. They weren't credit card people. They were people like, how are you going to pay for that if it's not in your pocket? You can't have it yet. <laughs> so that that financial um, upbringing, <laughs> do you believe that's how you really got into the No, I, I think I, th I think what happened is when my father died, I was out of school one year, and I was working for 
the oil analyst for uh, McDonald and Company, you know, and I'd do his reports and stuff. And then when he died, it was like, whoa, <laughs> wait a second, <laughs> you know, I've got to figure it I'm out. Figure it out. And my mom was really comfortable, but I, she was young. She was 53. I didn't know if she'd ever do anything again, but she, fortunately she had, you know, she remarried. Uh, my stepfather was uh, an executive at um, Canada Dry and uh, his whole family, uh, my stepbrother now, he's an adjunct professor at William Patterson University, plays a bazillion instruments, ran the Hackensack music department. My niece, his daughter also plays a bazillion teachers music in the, the school system there. So his whole family and my stepsister was a social worker. So when we had dinner, when the families met, it was a hoot. And they ran around the room and they, everybody would say, what do you play? What do you play? And everybody in his family, they played this, they played the piano, they played, you, you name it, they played whatever. If they played, they could have been their own symphony. And then they, they look at me and they say, what do you play? I said, me, I play the radio. I play the radio, absolutely. <laughs> I said, I said, Makes it, it easier. And, but, but after dinner, my mom said, what do you think? I said, well, you're marrying the do-gooders of the world. You, you brought the capitalists to the world, actuary and, 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 and you know, finance. I worked in the brokerage house back then. So and when so working in the the banking industry came later. I what happened is after my dad died, my mother was uh, I told you fifty three, but she had remarried, and there was something about you got a once in a lifetime exclusion if she waited till she was fifty five to sell her house. And what happened? My grandmother was still alive, and she was in Florida, and my mother's sister had passed away. She had cancer. And she had been in Florida. So my mother said, I think we're going to move to Florida. Would you go? I said, well, uh, let me see. So, so I come down here. <laughs> it gets better. I come down here and I don't have a job. And I said, and I have my resume. You know, I worked at the banks. I worked at the brokerage houses. So my brother had a very good friend who's, who's uh the guy had like a little janitorial business where you're starting and he'd clean like office buildings. And his wife, so it was just him and his wife. So they said, you can come work with us. I said, okay. So I'd run around at night and we'd, you know, clean little office buildings. I'll tell you, telephones were easy. Uh, carpeted was good. Toilets were a disaster. And I, every time I go now, I think, what the hell do these people's houses look like? So I did oh, that God. and I lied and I got unemployment. And then, <laughs> then, then, wait, it gets better. So then the, the, this, the brother of the... Uh, uh, sister, uh, the woman mm -hmm. I was working with, you know, the, the guy's wife, he, he worked at Guardian Pools in, in Fort Lauderdale. He said, Judy, I can get you a job at Guardian Pools. I said, yeah, okay, fine. So I, I lie. I don't tell them I went to college and I apply for this job and I get a job cleaning pools while I'm doing my other cleaning. And of course, illegally collecting unemployment insurance at the time. So then what happens? I, I go there and I can't, I don't even know how to bot to, to do a stick shift. I probably strip the gears every day of my life. <laughs> and the thing is, and I would never hire anybody like me to clean your pool. I knew nothing. I used to just throw the, <laughs> I, I used to throw the, the, the acid in and the chlorine and put you the little, and, and no, put the little pieces of paper in and vacuum out the pool. It was ridiculous. But the thing is, I look so affluent is all I could say because I was in the sun all day and I was strong as an ox because I was working out with all this stuff that was too heavy for me and so I would go for interviews you know in the afternoon and what happened one of the um I was doing you know pools at a really rich place you know and I was talking to the woman and she said to me now tell me the truth I know you went to college don't just tell me where did you go and why are you cleaning my pool and I told her and she said her husband was some sort of banker. She said, do me a favor, just give me your resume next time. And he put it through and I got a job interview at a, at a bank down here and I got hired. And uh, that's how I started my banking career. <laughs> so you started your banking career by cleaning pools? But through the back door of cleaning. But you know what it was? See, see, that was the thing. I was never, there was never anything that was beneath me to do. That's the thing. People think, and these people, whenever they see you, you're doing well, they always think, oh, you know this. And yes, I had 
my parents were comfortable. My were this, but they were like, I, I mean, I didn't say to my mom, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm cheating on unemployment and I'm cleaning pools. She would have like gone crazy. I mean, because when I got married, I owed like $2,000 in taxes and whatever was going on. And I said to my husband, I'm coming with dowry debt. And my mother must have been there. And she looked at me like, how are you kidding me? How, 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 this is someone who never owed anybody money ever. And she, she was, she was looked at me and she was just like, how much is it? I want to know. We're going to write a check tonight and then you're going to pay me back. But she was so annoyed that they think that one of her children. So did you want to create another route? Like, is that you wanted to create, you wanted to create something for yourself. Is that why you went against not against, you moved another route from what your parents, their lifestyle and what they were doing? No, they just made more money than I did. <laughs> you know what I meant? I mean, my, I mean, at the time, I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, my father, like, he wasn't really wealthy. I mean, as the years went by, he became more affluent. But I, I remember my mother used to have a Christmas club for each of us. Like, did she put $3 a week in it so we could go to camp in the summer? So she really, she would budget. Like, I, 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 you know, she was that way. And, and I, I was a very sick kid. I was had terrible allergies and I could only eat stewed fruit, fresh vegetables and meat till I was seven. I was allergic to dairy. I was allergic to milk. And when we lived in Milwaukee, my parents used to have to drive to Chicago to buy margarine because they didn't sell it in Wisconsin because it was the dairy state. Wow. And they had a freezer just to put stuff in that I could so eat. So you're allergic to dairy and you guys moved to the dairy state. Yeah. <laughs> that had to be an, uh, an experience. So, so working in a bank, how long are you working in a bank? In a- I started in banking in 1982 and I was in banking from 1982 to 1997. When did the, sh- when did the shift, I mean the shift happened I'm assuming in 1987. That's when you started your own um, firm? Yes. Or how did that process well, what happened, I was in banking, and and then I, I had gone, uh, what happened, I originally worked at uh, Flagship, then Sun, and then I ran Manufacturers Hanover, which was a big New York bank's trust investment department down here for about eight years, nine years. And they had moved the office from Miami to Boca, and I didn't want to commute at the time. My kid was like three years old. So what I did is I was offered a job to go back to, to uh, Sun at the time, which was great because they gave me upfront money. And the day I gave my notice to manufacturers Hanover that night, they were taken over by Chemical Bank. <laughs> I would have been in the losing bank. So not wow. only did my stock go up, I got a bonus to go back. It was the best. And so I, so, so I was at the Sun for about five years and I got my old accounts back because I used to manage money for Baptist Hospital, Children's Hospital, the zoo, the opera, and I was treasurer of Vizcaya, which is the museum, for 10 years. And after that, I went to work for a, 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 one, a private family for a year. And then my partner and I, who I had known from the bank, we went to a dinner. I think it was Bank United, or one of the banks. They wanted to set up a trust department. They wanted us to help them set it up. And then after dinner, we looked at each other and said, you know, we could to have our own firm, so that's how we set in our own firm in 1997. And, and when you guys started your own firm, what was that that process like? Did well, you guys happened, already had clients already? You know what happened? My partner had gone out before me, and he had, what happened, he had gone out before me and started the firm with someone else who we had worked with, and he thought more people would follow him, and he thought he'd in, to have, not to be audited by the state, you had to have over $100 million under management. And it turned out they, they didn't. And I had walked away and I had people calling me when I was at the private thing. So I said, oh, I said, you know, I, I probably <laughs> probably have $100 million sitting out there if we just do it. And so that's when we joined the, uh, and we became Come partners. On. And then I had a lot of clients that have had before. And I mean, I, I've had clients that, we've had clients, even my partner, we've had, I've had clients since 1987, 1982 that I still have as clients. I mean, one of my, my big clients, um, you would know is Florida Education Fund and they're a wonderful organization. They Florida award, Education Fund? They award like 85% all the African-American PhDs in the state of Florida. And it was set up on a grant uh, from the state and the McKnight Foundation from 3M. And I've been managing their money since 1987. 
Okay. And when you hear the McKnight scholars in school, they're the ones that, that, that funds it, that funds that. And uh, it's, it's a great organization. And, uh, but you know, so we, you know, I have stuff for them and they have other managers at this point, but you know, but that, so it's, how, that, that, those kinds of accounts, you know, and, and uh, relationships. I mean, cause what happened with them, quite honestly, I had, there was something called the Barnett Aiden art collection, which was all African American artists. And it was a collection where they had paintings that went back into the turn of the century. And a lot of the artists back then were from Louisiana, but since they weren't permitted to go to art school, if you were African-American in the States, they would go to Paris and they became artists. So they had a lot of that in the collection. And what happened when I was at Manufacturers Hanover, they had, um, they had a uh, painting in their Harlem branch and what happened, they foreclosed on it, you know, because the guy owed him money. So I got them to donate it to the art collection. So we donated that. And um, what had happened even to buy the art collection at the time, interest rates were going up and they wanted to buy it. And I said to them, I said, here's my Manny Hanny hat and the bank will give you a loan at like nine and a half at the time, I think. I said, but here's my Judy Nyworth hat. <laughs> You don't want to do that. I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, you have a reverse repo where it resets every month on the interest rate. We'll borrow against that because they need a couple million dollars to buy the collection. I said, and then uh, I think the rates will go on. And I was right. Eventually, when we paid it off, the rates were went from nine and a half down to five and a half, where if they would have done it in the bank, they would have had a, mm. a level thing. So we were always friendly shall we say then I had when I went out on my own they were having issues about um, health insurance and so I, I like didn't charge them a fee for a year or two I mean we were just friends you know we've been friends forever so anyhow but they're a wonderful organization they really they really they, they they have such a positive impact on people's lives and and they do that because they want people to be role models like in in uh the academic field and, and things like that. So, but that, yeah, but that, that's what I have. So I, I've, those kinds of things uh, I have going on and, you know, we're, we're very boring investors. I know everybody's, you know, going in, going out. We're, we're not day traders. We buy boring things. You know, you buy real stocks that pay dividends, you buy investment grade bonds and for investment grade preferred stocks. And, and, and certainly, if the market goes down 20%, your good stocks will go down 20%. But you know what? Home Depot will be here tomorrow. And Johnson so is that and your Johnson. strategy? It, like, what is your strategy of managing? Well, everybody successful? has different things. But, I mean, our thing is to have try to have positive return and be in real things. I mean, I mean, if I go back, I have people now that probably their tax cost in Apple is $3 a share because we've had it since it came out. Or same thing. With Home Depot, I mean, I mean, I mean, I have accounts that are forty years old at this point, <laughs> you know, things like that. But how, how do you pick the certain companies? I, I, you know what, I, I think part of it is you, you've got to see if the world changes. Sometimes, you know, when we started buying like Apple and Google and those things, and you weren't sure, so you bought a little bit of it, but the, you know, you see what's happened with the internet and. Uh, and like General Electric has gone the other way. I mean, and, and the problem is what, it was a good company and oh, I forget the guy's name, but he really ran it in the ground. He, he was, they had a terrible uh, CFO. I'm trying, I can't remember his name, but, but he was an idiot. I mean, he'd have a, he'd be flying private and then he'd have a, another plane flying behind him in case his plane, was, you know, I mean, just total waste and, you know, narcissistic craziness. So, so you're actually doing research on the whole company before you make a decision. We, we do some. I mean, we have we use we have certain brokers we've done business with for years, and you know, if they give us something, we'll look at it a little more closely. Of course, you know, we read a lot of things ourselves. I I do more of the fixed income, which is more on credit, credit and duration kind of things, and. Um, and the world changes. I mean, you can do all your homework in the world, and at the end of the day, it won't matter. I mean, you had 
I had, uh, there was a company when I first started called Arrow Electronics, I think it was traded, I want to say like $40 a share, maybe 50. And they were a really good company and they had a, uh, a board, uh, you know, finance meeting, whatever. It was at the Rye Hilton in New York. And there was a fire and all the people got killed that afternoon in the fire. So the next day the stock opened, boom, and until stuff happened. But I mean, so, I mean, there's you things, you can't, you can't there's just stuff that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's like, I mean, look at what's going on. I mean, if we wake up and we're at war with China tomorrow, you're going to be at war with China. All of a sudden your supply chain is going to be very crazy and it's going to be very detrimental for everybody. And the problem is, I think on both sides, you got these idiots. I, I feel like you, when I was a kid, there was a nursery uh rhyme show or whatever it's called romper room that's what i feel like tit for tat and nobody with like the real end game is like you know what you both need each other so figure it out okay so is there any preparing that you could do to prevent well, well you do but you, you you know you're diversified but you don't have super concentrations because the best explain that what that like for may, people may, like myself that don't understand well, what that people means. You, you look at your portfolio maybe you have two percent or three percent of your assets in that stock or that bond you don't have 25 percent of it in like everybody says oh google's great this is great and you know what it is great and you know, the people who did the bitcoin stuff they made a lot of money i'm not a big fan of bitcoin at all and though i think it might be here it reminds me of something called tulip mania and Tulip mania goes all the way back to like the 1600s, 1700s in, tu in uh, the Netherlands where they bid up the price of tulips crazy. Like they were called tulips, tulips, everything tulips. And people uh, were buying tulips and trading tulips and everything. And then the end, uh, it was the balloon and it, it, it collapsed. Okay. So then what happened is um, that I call that the first big... <laughs> Uh, bubble, and there, there's uh, you can you can just punch it up, tulip mania. It's kind of interesting, and the thing with Bitcoin and all the um, cryptocurrencies that concern me is I don't think the governments are ready to let them have a place unless they have control, because the whole idea of Bitcoin that's so frightening to all governments is that you can use it for drug money. You can use it for terrorists, and they can't keep track of where the cash is to tr to finance things. And I, I think that's your, one of your biggest problems. That, that's not to say if you bought it, you could have made a gazillion dollars. Okay, it's just not my thing. I mean, it's just, right. you know, I, I, if I'm going to gamble, uh, I, I'll buy a lot. <laughs> okay, <You go> right. <laughs> so, what, what what advice would you give the family that want to start investing? Where do they start? You know what they start if, if they want and, and you don't have a lot of money, you go out and you, you don't buy mutual funds. Mutual funds have a lot of internal fees. You buy what an exchange traded fund, like a Vanguard S&P 500 fund. I think it's like, I think they charge like $35 a month or whatever it is. I, maybe a year to buy it. I don't know. The thing is though, it, the S&P 500 will be reflective of all the stocks in the Standard & Poor's Index, which 500 stocks that are, you know, involved in everything. And what would happen is if it's doing well, your money goes up. If it's doing board, poorly, your money's going down. But if you're just starting, so that's something, I don't know, maybe you start and you put $100 in one month. And then two months later, you can put another $100. So you can just dollar cost, you put in $50, whatever. And... That's what I would do if I was just starting and I didn't know anything. I'd, I'd look at something like that. So if a family wants to grow and develop financial freedom yeah, or structure their family in a capacity where they can manage money, what should they do to first learn how to, I guess first, let me start off. I think, I think the process is learning how to manage your money. First of all, See if they manage their everyday money. Make sure, see if, see if their bills are paid. How is that? How, how could they manage their everyday money, first of all? You know how much money you're getting. You know what you, you need to spend the money on. And then you, the extra is what do you want to spend the money on extra. So you've got to say, here, I, my food is so much. I, my kids' 
shoes are so much, the this, the that, my dog <laughs> food is so much, whatever it is. And you take care of your uh, cost of living, your cost of living first. And then the thing is, then you have the extras. Then the extra disposable income is either you're going to invest some money or you say, you know what? I, I, I have this car I really like, but I want to buy a, a much more expensive car that's going to cost me $300 or more a month. I mean, those are personal decisions, you know. You know, I, I never thought cars were that important, but there are people that, you know, I mean, they define themselves for it. And, uh, and after yeah. they learn how to manage their everyday cost of living. But the, this is stuff that they can, I mean, there's so much information now because it's nonstop talking heads on TV, you know, with the, the finance. Because what I do, I, I watch all the stations. I watch Bloomberg for like, an hour or two, I watch Fox News for an hour or two. I watch MSNBC. I watch uh, Squawk Box. And the nice thing about them is whenever there's an event, everybody, you would have thought it was a different event. You know, they all have a different spin. And, and the problem I find with the news these days is they're all pundits. They want to give me their opinion. And it's like, I don't need your opinion. Or especially if you listen to a speech, like if anybody gives a speech, they say, he said, blah, blah. And I look at my husband and I say, did, did we fail English? Did we not understand what he just said that I have to have some 30 year old kid tell me what he said? And, and they were all, and I, I think that's half the problem with the whole government and the, uh, our system is that, I mean, even though my father went to Harvard and everything, I'll never forget. He, somebody came to, for a job interview from Harvard and he, my mom said, did you hire him? And she said, of course not. He said, I never hire anybody that went to Harvard. He said, they only teach people to be the boss. He says, and they, they all have the same mindset. And I, I didn't know what he meant, but if you look at even the problem with the Supreme court and all this, that's why I, I, I you know, everybody's mad about everything, but and even like the these the, uh, the people on TV, they all went to the same schools. They all had the same teachers. They all think they're the smartest people in the world. And and this so that, that mindset is basically yeah that they, they're they're smarter. I, I mean, I grew up in the Northeast, and my parents taught me yeah you, you're lucky <laughs> with your parents, but you know and uh, whatever. But that's why I, if I were to do the Supreme Court, my thing would be, yeah, you can have one judge from Harvard. You can have one judge from the University of Michigan. You can have one. I don't care if he's from the University of New Mexico. One, but, it's a different but, thought pattern. Different different view. And, and that's and all the, the senators and all these guys, they, even though they make like they don't like each other, they've all been there 40 years, 50 years. McConnell, Schumer, Pelosi, and... The thing is, we don't have an immigration policy because they didn't bother to have an immigration policy. They've been there enough years to make an immigration policy. We don't have a balanced budget because they go out and spend more money than we have. And they don't, they're, they're all so stupid because you, we're not going to be able to pay this all back. I mean, they're turning our country into a real third world country. Now. So you as a financing, <laughs> a fi a financing manager. Yeah. That you got to cringe when you watch how America's spending money in a certain capacity. Well, I cringe and I, I feel sorry for people at the border. But you know, I was telling you, I went to school in Austria, and they, I think they used to try to help people escape because because what happened from Hungary, they would come from Hungary, and uh, they had machine gun towers and everything. In fact, I, my mother got crazy because when I used to travel, I'd have my picture taken with somebody when we went to a communist country with their machine guns. So I called it my machine gun collection. But, when I went to Czechoslovakia, when I went definitely. to Hungary, <laughs> my mother was like, "What is?" I said, "Well, we went, we went on vacation, and I, I had them take my picture with them." And I was, so, uh, my we, goodness, it was cringing. crazy. No, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, look, they were they, they didn't want to do it either. I mean, these were people. That's how they grew up. I mean, they have a twenty-year-old kid. What does he have to do with if they're being yeah. communist? And but what I, what I was going to say here is that you you can't. Um, you, we can't finance the whole world. And and by them letting in, I, I don't have anything against illegal immigrants. I'm all for everybody being able to come here, but legally, because we can't afford it. And what did they let in like 3 million people since Biden's president? You don't know where they are. They said that in New York now, they're having a polio epidemic again. And polio was totally eradicated when I was a kid. It was took like five years for the vaccine, but 
you know, you know and, and they didn't close the country down and people died. You know, people died, people got folio, but people went to school. And I mean, the whole idea of closing everything mm -hmm. down was absurd. So, and then they're sitting here talking about if they're going to change, lift the mandate for people to come into the country uh, with masks or, or not being vaccinated when you've let 3 million people here and don't have any vaccinations, what yeah. and so on. So, I mean, you know, it, it's just absurd. I mean, yeah. and it's like nobody's home. It's like nobody's taking calls. Everything is, is political about getting reelected. So, I mean, I'm not in charge, but I would have one six-year term of president where you never could run again. And that and way, you, well, not only that, you wouldn't spend the whole time doing fundraisers to run again. And even the, the moment they're done, <laughs> they got to raise more funds. And even the congressmen, like the Congress people, I wouldn't have two-year terms. I'd have like two four-year terms. Same thing. You can never run again. Senators, maybe two six-year terms. You can never run again. So that, what, what would be your main reason for doing that? Is it just to have new mindset, new thinking, new... Well, look what's happened. I mean, I, I, wanna, I want you to tell me how much somebody was worth the day they got elected, what they're worth when they get out. And they've never had a job that paid more than like maybe $150,000, $200,000 a year. Okay, Biden, Biden's been in office, what, 45 years, and he's got, what, three houses, and he's worth... Yeah, how does all this happen? You know, Harry Reid was worth, like, $30 million when he retired, and he never had a job except in the government. Wow. I mean, so that, it, 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 they just abuse the power. I they, think I want to go into also, when it comes to educating families about funding and... <laughs> um, and learning how to manage their finances. How important is credit? Credit's important. And and the thing that I think it's the way they do it is very poor. I mean, you can have, I, I mean, I have, I've been fighting with somebody and they probably screwed up my credit score, but it didn't matter. But I had changed from T-Mobile to uh, AT&T for my telephone mm -hmm. and I paid them and I, and I was done. And then I get a bill that I owe them for two months after I had moved the phone that I owed them a couple hundred dollars. And I said, I don't. Send me a bill. So they didn't. But then I got a letter from the credit, from someone trying to collect it. And I said, I'm waiting for the bill. Show me what I owe you money for because I had moved the phone and I don't so I owe don't. you. So then I got something where they say, they show the bill T-Mobile with the amount. I said, I want you to show me what it is, how you add up. And, the, and to show you how ridiculous this is, I'm fighting with them over like $450. <laughs> okay, but I won't pay them. Until because, I know what the bill is. Well, I, I, I'll give you an example. I'm very, I, I recently moved up here from Miami. I lived in Miami 35 years. And I had put a bid on a house because I'm living here three years. And I was done, and this was, going back and I was within a couple of thousand dollars of purchasing the house. And then my, my, uh, uh, realtor came back to me and said, well, he, they, they won't do it unless we each kick in like $2,500, meaning my realtor and the other one so that we can get it done. And I looked at him, I said, we're not going to get it done. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not going to buy the house now. And he says, what do you mean? I said, because they're trying to chisel you and you people are working and I don't need to buy, do business with them. I said, we'll find another house. And I never bought the house and I bought another house. So it's just the way I am. You, you do business, you're honest, you don't take advantage of people. And, and I, 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 I can't stand people. Who take that, advantage of people. But well, not, not only that, who fed every advantage and, and, and it's really not them. I hate to say it, 90, percent of the time the people who have worked like you and me beethoven and and people who, that i know are very sick they're not like that it's a lot unfortunately it's a lot of time the people who inherited it who never right. had to do stuff and and have this mindset that i'm better we were we were never better i mean even <laughs> my mother had a housekeeper came in a couple of times a week we always had to make our bed we she, it was like there was certain it, it was like it was like it didn't were... ma it didn't matter you know she's here to help me she, but you're you you're responsible for these things every day, and that was the end of it. Like, what what do you think that kept the 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 business running for so long? What's your secret of keeping your business running for so long? You know what? We never changed anything. I mean, we were bankers, and we 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 haven't changed our outlook on what the way to invest money. You you need good quality companies. You need things that are investment grade. You need this. And then you really have to see what the 
underlying needs of the client are because you have clients that are younger and they're making money. And but by the time you get people, I have people now that are older that were making money, but they're retired. And so they're, they're, they've gone from uh, earning money to living off their income. So it, it, it's it's just depending what they need and, and being conservative about it and telling them the truth. You know, you can't spend money on this. If you want to, you're going to have to take it out of here and whatever. So next for you after the firm, is it selling the firm? Is it, like, what do you believe you would want to do? I don't know that I'll do anything. I'll probably work forever. <laughs> it's not that hard. I like it. It keeps your mind young. And it, it might, or maybe cut back, I'm, you know, whatever I'll talk well, What about. does cut back look like for you? I don't know. I, I, I played, I've played golf since I was in my 20s. Since I'm 21, I'm a really good golfer, but I, my husband doesn't play at all. I can't believe I married somebody who doesn't play golf. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I could just, you can do you do it once in a while, but it's hot and it's, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think if you go to work or, or you, maybe if you do charity stuff, you have to be engaged with people. That's the thing to be engaged with people to have a reason to get up in the morning. Cause a lot of times when people retire, they have, they're, they have nowhere to go. And a lot of them are isolated because say their children moved away or their spouse dies and then all of a sudden they're alone and they have no purpose. They, like I have pets, I have dogs I'm always running around with, but it's, I, I think that's the thing. You've got to do something. I, I'm a big believer. You got, you get up in the morning and you do something. And and, you, and I, I mean, I don't know if you work at night. So the believer is you get up at night and you work at night. But I mean, these people that get up at 10, 11, 12 o'clock and they, by then my day is half over. Like today when I'm done here, my day's half over already. <laughs> What do you believe, you know, kind of wrap things up? What do you believe your secret to success is? I was very lucky. I had, I had the advantage. I really did have the advantage of uh, the ability to have a really good education. And I, I mean, I actually went to public school, but the public schools were really good. I mean, when I grew up, New Rochelle was a great school. I mean, you could take 14 languages. Okay. I mean, and where I grew up, people, a lot of people's parents worked in the UN. A lot of people's parents were in Broadway and, and the soap operas. I mean, I remember my brother had a friend, Mrs. Edley, and she was Swedish, could be African-American. And her husband was uh, one of the lawyers for the Ford Foundation. And and he, in fact, my brother's friend ended up, I think he taught law at Harvard in the end. And, and what happened is that, uh, like with your kids, you know, you'd go all over the place. And, and But she was, whatever soap she was on, we'd come home from school and we'd flop down and watch the half hour. And she was always the bad person. So, you know, if she, if she had to babysit us because all the other parents went out and you're over to her house and she's baking cookies, you'd say, are they going to kill you this week? Are are you are you are you are you going to have an affair again? And you would be like, you know, a little. You already know the scene. But but the thing is, you you know, they were just people, and, you, and they would laugh. They were friends of your parents. It wasn't this like everything. Everybody is so into themselves, and times I'm, are different. Yeah, I mean, and nobody. And pe the difference is, I, I I mean, I think the family had a lot to do with it, and things are very different now. I mean, when I didn't know anybody whose parents had actually gotten divorced until I was a junior in high school. I remember coming home and saying to my mom, oh, so-and-so's parents are getting divorced. And no no one had children out of wedlock. It was like... What do you think changed? What do you think the big, the biggest change happened? I think that they, the breakdown of family a little bit, but I, I think a lot of an acceptance that everything was okay. And it is, it's okay, but I think it puts a real strain on person i mean i think people are better with a little structure better where they have more support you know from families and friends and things where you know how many people are just out there now and i mean i i found it i, I was in santa barbara last year because i had a reunion for my friends from vienna there's 30 of us that are still friendly we get together every wow. five years for a reunion so we had our ninth reunion from from just going to school in Vienna, and they all live all over the country. In fact, I heard from my friend from Oklahoma yesterday, who I've been friends with since 1975. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and he was telling me that his grass was all, all all brown, and he wanted to get a paint can because he said there's no water, and he's given no, up. He's, he's given up. But I I, th I think a lot of it is structure. I mean, 
if you're fortunate enough to have um, good role models in your family, it doesn't necessarily have to be your parents. But, you know, I, I was lucky like that. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I also was lucky. I'm, I'm happily married. I, I, I met my husband on a blind date. I almost didn't go out with him. I remember um, I had a friend who had gone to his brother's wedding. And then I should tell you, the end of it is my mother knew everything about him before I did. I didn't realize till after I got married but what happened. My mother played cards with my friend's mother who uh, was friendly with mm -hmm. Arthur. So she probably knew everything about my husband before I did. But anyhow, he calls me up to go out and he wants to go for pizza. They used to have a deep dish pizza place on Cypress Creek called Uno's Pizza, which was Chicago pizza. Yeah, I'm familiar and, with Uno's and I, Pizza. And I put, I never forget, I put my hand over the phone. I said to my mom, can you believe this guy who wants to check me out over a pizza? And she said to me, well, you don't have anything to do. You might as well go. What can I tell you? We would have gotten married in three months, but we had to wait six months because his... Um, Sister's children weren't out of school until Washington birthday weekend. I got married because they were uh, 12 and 14 at the time. I had to wait for a winter session wow. <laughs> and I'm um, married 38 years. But, and, and then, then I, when I, the only other problem is I became the in-law. He became the child within two months. I mean, he was like, that. He, he was very close to my mother and it was very nice. So, yeah, but I think it, it's those kinds of things. I, I think your personal life, and I, I'm lucky. I mean, it's difficult to have a lot of things. And uh, I, I never, you know, I didn't have any any um, health issues. I mean, I have my MS. I give myself a shot. But I've, was right. so, I, I was lucky in what I had. I mean, there's progressive where you get worse. There's chronic where you're in a real. And I just had what's oh, called remitting relapsing. Something happened. It reversed out, and that was fine. I, a lot of it is in Jewish. There's a word "besher," it means faded. It's, you know, I, I was lucky on a lot of levels for things that I had nothing to really do with. But you're, but now once you understood your luck, you then kept it consistent and kept it going. I always knew I was lucky. I never lost fact, <laughs> fact mm. of the fact that it could have been difference. something else. And I, my grandmother, she used to, and she was very comfortable. She was <laughs> Let you know that you're lucky. Let's put it this way. When I was a kid and if the gardener came or when I was little, you used to have the same sanitation people would come, you know, and, and we, when we were little, everybody was Mr. or Mrs. to us. They weren't like calling them by their first name because they were the gardener or they the were respect there, level or, or they went there. in the bakery. I mean, I remember all my mother's friends. I mean, even until I got married, you called him Mr. Miss. I remember one of them said, you can call me by my first name. And I said, I don't think I ever could think of you, you by really your first name. I've known you since I'm 12 and I'm 30 now. And I still, still don't make a difference. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think I want to thank you for stopping by to really having this conversation and being open because money management cannot be, a, I don't think it's an easy thing. And for you to manage the level of people and clients that you service is impressive. Um, anything else you want to add to it before we go? Whatever, you, you know, you, you learn. And, and as far as anything to do with the fine, there's so much stuff on the internet. You could just punch up understanding a stock, understanding a bond. You know what I mean? It, and it, the and, information is there if you yeah, want it. If now it's uh, whatever. I mean, it's not like when I was little and you had to go look it up in the, uh, the encyclopedia or I remember my parents would use big words and they'd say, look it up. I remember Aria died. I said, I can't find it under the A's. And they right. started laughing at me. They said, all right, we'll give you a hint. <laughs> Let me spell it the right way first. Yeah. But I mean, but our, my husband's a, he's a lawyer who had been a judge when he was younger in his thirties in New Jersey. And what happened, he had something really cute because of world, uh, word check, whatever. And he was doing a bankruptcy and they, they had, put in where it was supposed to say creditor, the word predator. But with the, the, the spell check, it was a correct word. So I remember he said, he, when he was in court one day, he said, I have to apologize to everybody <laughs> because everywhere in this brief that's supposed to say creditor, it does say predator. <laughs> okay. And so. Where to go spell check. But yeah, but you got to be careful. See, people believe stuff and they don't check stuff. And I think if anything, that's the biggest crime is these kids that get garbage on the internet and they think yeah. it's true. 
Because like, it's so manipulative. I think the yeah. internet is so powerful; it gives out and, a lot and of it's what they and, it, and 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 unfortunately, they they the people at Google and Facebook and all these people they disseminate what they want you to see, and that's also a big problem sure. now. Sure. I mean, do, do I think I I I, I shudder to think if Biden and Trump could run again. <laughs> I said that would be like I'd feel like I'm living in that. What was that movie, Groundhog's Day? <laughs> you're scoffing yeah, yeah. that's why i think you need for forced retirement yeah then, absolutely i know i mean there's got to be somebody in this country in there well i think 40s. you're gonna be perfect to run for office so get ready for your campaign never never well, never, 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 <laughs> never 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 well julie thank you again for stopping by and having this conversation I, we're gonna try to keep some more conversation going anytime one thing i know about you you're always gonna be there for me so Thank you very much. You know that Beethoven. I do. (laughs) Thank you very much. God bless. Good night. Good night.